This is the podcast for November 4th, 2011. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from just outside Newt Gingrich's best week ever, it's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Before we celebrate our 100th episode, I have to read something to you from the Washington Post. Oh, God. Okay. By Ed Rogers. <laughs> by who? Well, there's this column at the WAPO called The Insiders. Carter Eskew and Ed Rogers debate election 2012. Wow. Okay. And Ed Rogers, I guess, it's. Let me. I can click the about Ed. I, thought, I was hoping it was Roy Rogers, but I guess yeah. he's dead. No, it's Ed Rogers writes. I don't know who he is. But I've been involved in Republican politics since I was a kid in Hoover, Alabama in the 1970s. Okay, we know everything we need to yeah, know about him now. Okay, done. wealthy suburban Birmingham suburb. Okay, so this is what Ed Rogers wrote. As we move through the Cinderella cycle of campaign 2012, where someone is trying to make the slipper fit, watch for Newt Gingrich to grasp the magical shoe <laughs> neck. Yep. His grip won't be that strong, but he has some important qualities that will warrant another look. Yeah. In other words, as John Stewart says, his name does not rhyme with Grit Homney. <laughs> yeah. That's that's our uh, boy. I won't and say yeah. no, this is the last sentence I'm gonna read. Huh? <laughs> oh no, I'm gonna read more. Wait. <laughs> this is hilarious. Okay. I won't Sorry. say a new look because every Republican has looked at the former speaker many times over the years. God. Gingrich has one big thing going for him. He's a fresh thinker yeah. and possesses such clarity of thought and compelling logic that he can be almost hypnotic. When you listen to Gingrich, you think you might actually learn something. I know I okay. do. Okay, <laughs> I'm done. But every time I listen to Gingrich, I learn something new about America that appalls me. <laughs> That they are still listening to this yeah. sack of shit, this evil, <laughs> evil bigoted mean, clown, bigoted evil clown, mean person. Doesn't it doesn't matter how many times he shits himself in public? David Gregory will always have him on Meet the Press, always. Well, and here's the Republican for the Wapo saying, "Give him a fresh look." Yeah. Because yeah. you've run out of everybody else. That's well, it, why. He's the last dick standing. Exactly. It's 345. The bar is closing. <laughs> everybody else has passed out or stuck a knife in somebody or, or been arrested. Stuck to the or, bar in their own vomit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Or institutionalized. And there's Newt sitting at the bar going, I knew you'd eventually come around to me. Yeah. I knew it. Because everyone else is used up. And. Honestly, the biggest story, this is something, this is a theme that's run through all of our episodes, uh, either as text or subtext. The biggest single story in American politics, and the biggest single story in American politics for the last many years, has been that one of the two major political parties of the most powerful nation on earth is insane. Yeah. That's a big story. Yep. The other big story that also has been a big story for decades is that the American press will not report on the biggest story in American modern American history, right. period. Right. And if you needed a more clear MRI of exactly how deeply rotted out to the marrow 
the Republican soul is and always has been. You need look no further than we're going to take a second look at Newt Gingrich. Oh, and, and here's, here's the last paragraph. He is smart, and those brains will be on display in the coming weeks. He's, they talk during this article about how the debate schedule helps Gingrich. Uh-huh. He could emerge as the Republican thinking man's candidate. Yeah. I think that candidate tops out at about 12% in 2012. <laughs> that, that's what you know this columnist says. The thinking man's Republican tops out at 12%. That tells well, you Well, the thinking lot. man's Republican is, is named John Huntsman. Yeah. Who is running dead even with me in the Republican <laughs> primary. Because the Republican Party is a, is nothing at all anymore but a sack of bigots and snake-handling religious freaks and plutocrats and morons. Yeah. That's all they are. And the, the distinction I think I would have to draw between liberals and everybody else is – we recognize and have recognized for decades this is the final act, the final ague, the final racking fever of an arc that has been described across American politics for most of my adult life and yours too. Conservatives, whoever they are, keep wanting to pretend this is a recent development. Mm-hmm. This just happened yesterday. It had nothing to do with what I did yesterday or the day before or the week before or the month before or the fact that, that 15 years ago that same Newt Gingrich was pioneering, was doing pioneering work in industrializing and mass producing hate speech. Right. That, right. That Gingrich was the guy – Teaching told, people how to do it. Teaching people, Absolutely. giving them videotapes and audiotapes through his GOPAC organization, teaching the young Republicans, the freshman Republican class of, of 1994 – Every time you go in front of a, a microphone, say Democrats are traitors. Yeah. Say it. Just keep repeating it over and over again, and it'll work. Because let's face it, Republicans are are brain dead zombies, and the media are pussies. And and if you push hard enough, it's like I, I hate to use the, the metaphor, but it's like Hitler said when he got back from negotiating uh, and breaking treaties with the with the then allies. He said. Where's the effect? I met our enemy and their worms. Mm-hmm. Newt Gingrich recognized that the, the press corps, the people who are supposed to be guarding us from outright demagogues and liars, are worms, are pussies, are paid hacks of corporations who are never going to raise a finger against someone like Newt Gingrich, who will always invite Newt back on television no matter what he does. And this was true 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So how come this guy is still viable? And the answer is because David Gregory still has a job. Yep. Yep. And and that's the truth of it. And he can and Newt can, can go right through that revolving door for the rest of his life. He can spend most of his summers as a Fox News commentator, hang out with Pam Geller, attach himself to whatever horrifying bigoted scandal is stirring up the base this week for Fox News, and then step into the the, the blood of Christ for a few seconds, wash himself off, and emerge to the other side as a candidate for president of the United States, and just keep. Working both sides of the of the waterfront, making money off both ends of that deal. Absolutely, forever. and then taking his wife to Norway or Hawaii or wherever she wants to go shop this week. Yeah, yeah. and that's a good life. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so, a great and life. Then, and we're going to talk some more about good lives and people who have good lives. But <laughs> uh-huh. well, we've got a good life because this is episode one hundred. One hundred. You wanted to play also Sprock Zarathustra for this episode. I, I did. Do, I did. Do, do, do. <laughs> do, do. Well, because it's the first music I remember thinking, that's classical music and that's awesome. And then you, you know? wanted to do the 
the Jim Kirk. This is the significant pause episode of the Professional Left podcast, brought to you live because I. It's because we have ten fingers and ten toes. I realize that the number hundred has meaning for people who operate in base ten. But it's our hundredth episode. It is. We've been doing this for a hundred straight weeks now. And you've been blogging as of yesterday. You've been blogging for seven straight years. That's right. Which is goddamn amazing. Well, you too. I mean, your your blogiversary is next March in the spring. Yeah, Yeah, it's 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 in late March, early April. Seven years. And and. I'm I'm working on a document that I'm going to give away free for free with a contribution to the podcast. I've decided that's the way to market it. Wow! <laughs> so not free is what you're saying. Um, well, I'm not going to put it that way. But a couple of people have asked me this week, how do you put together a podcast? What programs do I need? What technical advice do I need? And Rather than sort of just email back some sort of disorganized, well, we kind of do this, we kind of do that, I'm really putting together a three- to five-page document that really outlines how we do this show uh, mm-hmm. in terms of which programs we use, which servers we use, what you know, equipment, and so forth. And I'm going, I am going to give it away with a $20 contribution to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Now how much would you pay? That's now wait, how much would you pay? How's that for nonstick? Yes, that's the way it's going to be. And it's also, a, yeah, so it's your cookbook. Yeah, which is it is. It's, cool, and, it's it, and it's the reason that I'm doing it that way is I realize that we are one of the few people on this planet who've done 100 episodes of a podcast. If you go through iTunes and start looking for podcasts of any stripe or variety, yep. finding someone that's done 100 episodes is rare. Yep. So we've done it. We've stuck to it. And as I said earlier in one of our earlier podcasts, if you want to podcast on politics, first blog for seven years <laughs> for no money yeah. and no acknowledgement except what you get from doing it. And then you will have not only the discipline of doing it, but you'll also have the filter. Yeah. One of the people that uh, I talked with this week about this said, you know, how do you know what to cover? Because it, there's so much. Every week there's just so much stuff that I want to talk about. And, and if, I may, if I may steal from Harlan Ellison, yeah. every week we get a six-pack of fresh ideas mailed to us by a service in Schenectady. So, <laughs> yes, that's what he said. Where do you get your ideas? Well, I just buy them from the idea factory. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a service out in New Jersey that for a cup, 20 bucks a month, they send me six new ideas. Every week. Every single week. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's, no. When you're out there blogging every day, looking every day at the blogosphere and what's being written about or what's being covered or what's happening, you learn your brain thinks a certain way that it doesn't if you haven't put in that 10,000 hours uh-huh. of really looking at it. And so you and I, by, the, by Wednesday or Thursday when we record this podcast, we really do know what we want to talk about. And not only that, but our brains are wired in such a way. I think three or four times a week, you and I say to each other, that's podcastable. That's, or that's part of the theme that we've been talking about all weekend. You know, yeah. We need to include that. And you are very good, Drift Glass, and, and I flatter myself to say I'm very good as well at finding connections yes. between – a science fiction story and a story about tax rates. You know, oh, oh, look, this is just like Dune, or this is just like a Harlan Ellison story, or this 
relates to this court case, you know, and we we put it together that way. But you need to have the time, the hours put in. Well, I'll give away our biggest secret, which is, first of all, get married, which is awesome. But if you can't do that, we didn't start off doing this with the notion that we're going to have a media empire. No. That, that would be nice, and that is our plan. <clears throat> and you too can be part of it or be crushed by it. <laughs> swept aside. But, but the idea was a natural outgrowth of what we were already doing. It wasn't, hey, let's have a podcast and let's stick up some shit to put in it. Mm-hmm. It was, we're doing this writing and we're doing this talking and we're really engaged in a continuous ongoing conversation. There's a, a quote by uh, a novelist. Uh, I can't even remember his name. I'm sure I can look it up long after this podcast goes up, but it's no writer, no novelist ever writes one book at a time, one essay at a time, one story at a time. He or she is reporting in over the course of their life over, here is where I am now, here's what things look like to me now. It's, a, it's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. And you and I, especially as we noted very early on at blogger meetups, would be engaged in essentially this ongoing conversation, which would range all over the place from politics to environment to law to literature to poetry to music, just all over the place. But it always seemed to have a certain lovely pace and a lovely give and take to it yes. that was if you remember broadcast news it's like good sex you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it really was it's just and we don't get into that on our podcast no, but no. you but know look it up on, now i'm gonna look say it up you online. know i'm not gonna edit out the you know on this you one because <laughs> that was a that one was intentional but there's this there's this natural once you fall into that habit and if you are of of that mind there's a natural conversation. And so our intention was, since writing is really hard, yeah. <laughs> and there's a cat yowling at my door right now yes. begging to get in, um, and you I'm going to see if my earphones in. will reach all the way over to let the internet kitty into oh, the room. she's really so upset, yeah. She is. She wants to be patted. All right. Well, and she just went to her litter, litter area. So this is my this is my show too. She wants a reward for going to her litter area. Yes. Yeah. I can get her in. Hold on a minute. Oh, I got her. I got her. I let her in. No, oh, she's in the bedroom now. Oh, okay. Is she, I'm sorry. Is she, she's in. She's in the, the in the bunkered sound recording area. <laughs> is she happy? Me like, oh, I hope. She's I hope she's happy. <laughs> she's looking at me like, "Who are you? Why are you?" This cat has. It's all RAM, no hard drive. It is. She's amazing. Every, she's just. She's got a brain the size of a peanut, and she's just. Every, and it reboots every twenty minutes. She's and she is like Mr. Short Term Memory Guy from Saturday Night yeah, Live. Who are you? Why is mental? This, yeah. Why is this food in my mouth? What am I doing here? Every few minutes it's the same thing. And and the other thing about those blogger meetups is we had an audience. We that, ended up with an audience. We ended up with an audience because we would have these conversations at blogger meetups and all of a sudden no one else was talking but the two of us. And they would end with, you guys need to be on the radio together. <laughs> you know? and, oh. and when the third person said that, we said, yeah, okay, okay let's try that. You know, it's not hard. Let's try it. And the quality well, the has cook- improved dramatically over the past 100 episodes, I think. It has. It really. Has. And, and the cookbook you're putting together is really, we didn't go off to get an off-the-shelf, COTS, I'm sorry, COTS, customized off-the-shelf. Yes. You buy the software, you tweak it, and you're done. You really built this, and this really is Blue Gal doing almost all the heavy lifting on the production side of this. 
found various pieces that fit together. Mm-hmm. Well, and some and, of the things were things that people sent us. I did want to mention right. that Andy in England was the person mm-hmm. that tweeted us about the Newt Gingrich article in WAPO. So I wanted to say hi to him. And I also, you know, the people who let us know about various programs and, oh, you might try this sound level thing and you might try yeah. this moving your microphone this way. We had a lot of advice from Dark Black about sound things that might work for us and sound editing and all of those things made this show better so it wasn't just me it was a lot of people wanting us to succeed and we're very grateful for that absolutely this has been a collaborative team yeah the great letters we've received you know we've done letters episodes we've done episodes where people wrote us or wrote something on facebook and read them and it just makes the show good so this is not just us and we're we're just really glad to this be was, doing this, this. Was, we're having fun still. This was this was accreted. This was built up over time, yeah. it and it's not just, over yet. The best is no. yet to be. It is. <laughs> we got a letter this week from someone who almost made me cry when they said, "You were my Occupy Wall Street before there was Occupy Wall Street." Yeah. And that yeah. I just went. <gasps> that well, just I gasped when I read that, but. Uh, uh, very got, humbly, uh, I thank you for saying that. That's just amazingly sweet of you. It is, and and, and just and we get discouraged and oh man, <laughs> and look, looking looking up at the sheer granite wall we're trying to climb. And by we, I mean I'm speaking for just us, but I know liberals all over the place feel the same way. Liberals, so, middle class Americans, women, yeah. people of color, gay people, students. It just, we're sitting here pounding on this brick wall, yeah. and it's not budging an inch, and it's just hurting our hands. Mm-hmm. And and every now and then, it's fuck it. Why are we even doing this? This yeah. is so painful. This is this takes so much time, so much energy. Voting takes so much time. Contributing to campaigns, following issues, staying, and it doesn't seem to make any difference. And then we get a letter. Yeah. Um, I was feeling really discouraged this week, for example, that for for jealous petty reasons, <laughs> which was oh, I want to talk uh, about that. I want to talk uh, about have, Charlie Pierce. No, we're going to name him and talk about him because Pier- of this. Charlie, Go ahead. Charlie Pierce is a good writer. He's a very good writer, and I, I've, I I've like enjoyed reading lot. what he's writing about David Brooks. Believe and he me. has written a couple of columns about David Brooks that were very good. That were very good. That's, that sounded very drift glassy. <laughs> they did. In Not in terms own- of plagiarism. No. But, but it, in terms it, it, of... Uh, sort of in a Mer- Milton Berle sort of way, like, you know, right. you're edging in on someone else's act. Mm-hmm. And what I think about that, and I'm not, I, I want to hear more about what you think about it and how you feel about it and your discouragement uh-huh. and so forth. But my initial thought was, well, Charlie Pierce writes for Esquire magazine. He's mainstream media. Uh-huh. He's feature right. writer. And he doesn't have to pay attention to the blogs. And maybe right. it is a, a two-class system where, you know, oh, no, I'm I'm here in the magazine getting paid, and you're a blogger, and that's different. Mm-hmm. Then I went and read his article and saw that he has a goddamn blog role next to the article with <laughs> Duncan and Digby and everybody but us. And mm-hmm. that's when I said, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a wait. minute, wait yeah. a minute. If you're going to acknowledge the blogosphere, then you have to acknowledge the blogosphere. And yeah. when someone's written 150, you know, written 3,000 posts and 1,500 of them have mentioned David Brooks. And I got to the point in our podcast where I almost don't want you to mention David Brooks anymore. I feel like we're just repeating 
ourselves over and over again every week. And then I realize, no, this is going up against that is a really important brick in that wall that we're hitting every week. We have to hit it. And so when I when I want to say, oh, no, no more David Brooks this week. And then I see Charlie Pierce getting lauded over and over. Oh, this is so brave. This is so awesome. Finally, someone's tearing down David Brooks. And I think, wait a minute. This is the greatest takedown of David Brooks ever. Uh-huh. I have never seen and anything like this. Crappy graphic. And the- this is awesome. <laughs> this is great. Oh my god! I've been, oh my! I feel like having a cigarette after this yes, is so right, good. Right. And you know what? It was good. It was it perfectly good. fine. Yeah. But I, I've written three hundred vampire novels, <laughs> and and Charlie Pierce has decided, hey, you know, it'd be cool to write about vampires. Yeah. And he's written a couple, and that's great. And suddenly. Oh my God! Someone has finally gotten around to writing about vampires. Yeah. yeah, and and it's not, and that's a trivial topic to take on. But the significance of it, and and the reason I was I was saying that this is how sometimes I feel petty and put upon and yeah. underappreciated, and I'm not. And and that's those are small mean feelings, and I acknowledge them as such, and I try to put them aside and say, you know what, I'm, that's just being bitchy, because as I started to express that online. Uh, through my blog, just a little bit, just a little bit of, oh, by the way, look what Charlie Pierce dressed up as for Halloween. He dressed up as me. (laughs) (laughs) And trying to just acknowledge that he's a good writer, and and I'm delighted that the critique of media at that level has finally leaked out of the blogosphere into some other place, Mm -hmm. other than Matt Taibbi occasionally and me. And uh, Marie Burns would acknowledge her too. She does reality checks and she's very good and has been banging on the same rock right but right beside me for a very long time as well but somebody came back to me with a comment saying you know what forget about it i never understood why you cared about what this idiot in the new york times say but you made me understand and now i understand and now i see why it's so important to go after him because he is selling an insidious poison that's my that last bit is my interpretation of it he is selling the narcotic that's keeping the media asleep, that's keeping any sort of analysis of what's really going wrong in this country from taking place. He is absolutely frantic to keep people from noticing Occupy Wall Street. He And he does it by playing this ponderous, very soft-spoken, very pastel-colored, aw shucks guys, centrist. But he's not. He's a complete conservative, plutocratic tool who has been wrong about every fucking thing his entire career. And yet, and this is what gets us to both our Rachel Maddow moment and this moment of pleasure when I, I, you and I get feedback from listeners or readers who say, no, 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 maybe you don't hear it, but I now understand why this is important and I never understood before. And so good job. That, that just, that means everything. Mm-hmm. That's just a wonderful feeling. And, and it's, you know, getting that feedback uh, almost in real time when we do these podcasts is is so rewarding and so enriching and so nourishing that I, I don't want another hundred episodes to go by without saying I'm not underappreciated. When you do this in a sort of a locked room yeah. <laughs> with no one around and you, and you just sort of toss it into the air and it goes away, it's easy to forget that there are literally thousands of people every day and many thousands of people every week who listen to our podcast or read what we say and and it means a lot to them. So, and when they say so, it means uh, the, a lot to us. So it thank does. You. And yeah. and the lesson I take away is humility. Yeah, that we should be humble and grateful for what we have, 
and really grateful for the tools we've been given. And our, our highest focus should be how can we best employ those tools to bring about the changes that we both want. Absolutely. You're listening to the Professional Lab Podcast, professionallab.blogspot.com. Now, I want to talk about Rachel Maddow. Yes. How terribly, terribly wrong she was this week. No, I, I don't mean that. She served up a big plate of red meat to us liberals this week, and I loved it. When I heard it live on her show, I loved it. She talked about Paul Wolfowitz, mm-hmm. and she talked about Cheney, and she talked about Condi Rice, and she talked about all of the people who were terribly, terribly wrong about Iraq. And how they should not have a column in Foreign Policy magazine, as Paul Wolfowitz did. Mm-hmm. He had a, a column about the plan for Afghanistan. And Rachel Maddow told him and told the rest of the Bush White House to <laughs> shut their pie holes. I'm not making that up or adding that to the conversation. She actually said pie hole. She yes. actually said Jesus. <laughs> she actually, yes. Which she never does. Which she, she never she, does. But she said, Jesus, people, these people need to be never heard from again about war. Get another hobby. Take up macrame. That's a quote. Mm-hmm. And she, she said, Jesus, can't we have some accountability in journalism? Exactly. For, for, you know, for God's sake, can't we have finally some accountability? This guy's been wrong about everything mm-hmm. forever and big things, really big things where people have died and trillions of dollars have been lost. And he's been wrong over and over again. One thing she didn't mention was that after he fucked up American foreign policy, his pal George Bush got him a job at the World Bank. Where which he, he fucked up there. fucked up with his mistress and gave his money mistress. to his mistress or a job or whatever. Yeah, it was and, all complicated. And so now he's being called upon by Foreign Policy magazine, which we learned by doing a little research online, is owned by the Washington Post. Shock! The neocon <laughs> yeah. whorehouse that Bill Crystal works at Washington Post. So of course he has a job there because there is absolutely no accountability for Wolfowitz no, or it's, Crystal it's or It's wing welfare once again, absolutely. Period. And, and they're free to lie as much as they want because there's so much money involved. Okay, but right? you, just had a word, you just said a word, and that's the word I want to talk about. Yeah. The word lie. As opposed to getting it wrong, mm-hmm. what if they – Rachel Maddow, what if they weren't getting it wrong? What mm-hmm. if they were just lying? Yep. And there have been so many stories this week that have plugged into this analysis of what if they were lying. Mother Jones has a story this week about budget cuts at the Pentagon and how worried the Pentagon is about possible budget cuts – because they have been double dipping, this is a quote, double dipping into the taxpayer's pocket to finance weapons purchases of the roughly one trillion with a T dollars spent on gadgetry since 9-11, 22% of it came from supplemental war funding, which is money that's supposed to go in a separate bill to fund the troops. If you don't vote for the supplemental defense budget, you're not helping the troops. You're a bad American. You're a bad American. So they shovel every crackpot over budget project. Battle in. tanks, the F-22 jet fighter. They they managed to spend $232.8 billion of that money back home on the manufacture of costly weapons. As I've asked many times, Condi Rice, how are your war stocks doing? Uh-huh. Paul Wolfowitz, how are your war stocks doing? 
And there's a mm-hmm. website called the Professional War Portfolio that only looks at five stocks. Boeing, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, and Alliant Tech Systems. And those five companies have been up 55.04% since December of 2002. I also want to point out to you that Carl Rove and Richard Armitage are associated with Boeing. Carl Rove's a shareholder. Richard Armitage is a Boeing consultant. Northrop Grumman. Scooter Libby is a consultant to Northrop. Doug Feith, the undersecretary Feith, for yeah. Feith. Is that how you say it? Yep. The stupidest man in America. Uh, he what is, one general called the stupidest man he'd ever met in well, his life. Well, he is uh, his he's managing partner. Uh, his former law firm is one of Northrop Grumman's attorneys. Mm-hmm. Paul Wolfowitz is a consultant to Northrop Grumman. Richard Armitage is uh, an advisory board member of Raytheon. So it goes on and on. And Boeing spent $7.8 million on lobbying in 2000. Mm-hmm. That's the last they have. To keep the gravy train Keep coming. the gravy train going. And, and we're not even going to mention, other than in passing, the vast fortune that the Cheney family made. Yeah. Well, that that's not Liz on here. Cheney. Yeah, we're not talking about who bought Liz Cheney's clothes. No, I mean, no, no. I'm not even. But, it, but you, we all but know all, that. Yeah, they feed out of the same trough. They all make enormous, obscene amounts of profit well, from and, you and, and me. And what about the editorial board of Foreign Policy Magazine? Mm-hmm. Where are their investments? Yeah. David Brooks' investments. All these people have money, and they have money, and they have it invested somewhere. And you, and you, they have enormous influence on public policy, yeah. either through the media or through their consulting gigs or through their friends in D.C. And you cannot find out right, where, where the their money is coming from. Is or where the conflict of interest is. When, when David Brooks says, look, we've got to give up on the fantasy of wind and solar. He's talking Comment. right out of his stock portfolio, which you know is Pacific Gas and Electric or natural gas companies around the planet. And the Patriot Act lets people come and look at my library list yeah. and tap my phone illegally. We can't know what stocks David citizen. Gregory owns. And that's but wrong. we can't know what stocks, how many millions of dollars yeah. these people make off of the blood of American soldiers and the fake wars they ginned up. So I just want to say to Rachel Maddow, before you continue, because I want to hear your thoughts on this, Rachel, Uh we love you, but don't tell them to shut up until they tell us how much money they made from all the times they were wrong, because then they're not really wrong, are they? It's not about being wrong. It's about winning. It's about protecting their investments and and advancing their their wealth and their position and their prestige. And they're lying all the way to the bank, and what difference does it make? Yeah. Well... Years and years ago, um, the most decorated Marine in history, I think, Smedley Butler, Mm -hmm. said war is a racket. And he said – I'm quoting from memory. I'm quoting obviously um, misquoting and interpolating. But he said essentially he spent most of his life protecting the the interests of American corporations and United Fruit abroad. That what he did for a living had very little to do with defending the country. He was defending America's corporate interests. Mm -hmm. And this was 40, 50 years ago. The military-industrial complex, the military-industrial-political media complex is now so goddamn big and so goddamn well-funded – that it doesn't matter how many times you pull Newt Gingrich's pants down in public. As long as he's down with their program, they'll welcome him back with open arms. As long as David Gregory is drawing breath, he will continue to allow 
open people who are openly or covertly hostile to the best interests of the 99 percenters on his television show, which is the most watched political show in America, which is where way too many people get their political opinions from, which is why I watch them, because I see the people putting the poison in the drinking water, and I see people drinking that water, and I see them spewing out these ridiculous opinions to pollsters that, you know, both sides, if only both sides could get along, well, I know where those opinions come from. You can trace it right back to a handful of very rich people at the top of the media, at the top of politics, at the top of corporations who want to keep the 99% of us stupid and compliant. And since they can't just walk around saying liberals are to blame for everything anymore, they have to go to the fallback position, which is to say both sides are to blame for everything. But it amounts to the same thing. Nothing gets done and nothing honest gets discussed in our media because the people with the money don't want it that way. So what do we do? Step one, put Ron Paul in charge. Oh, this is a great idea. Go ahead. Put Ron Paul in charge of auditing the fucking Pentagon. Ron, give up the idea you're going to audit the Fed. That's never going to happen or it might happen or I don't really care if it happens or not. That's a second order priority. My first order priority is give Ron Paul subpoena power and turn him loose on the Pentagon. And let him come back with whatever he finds. Well, let's make a bipartisan committee and put Dennis Kucinich yeah. on there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Ron and Dennis together again. <laughs> together again. And, and get in there and find out what, what's what's going on. Because we cannot continue this way. Yep. Right now, all of the profits that these clowns are making are profits based on borrowed money. Right. And so they're looting from our kids well, to and make it's, them Well, and it's interesting. Rich. We got a little note in the mail this week uh, from – a kind person wanting to give us 50 bumper stickers. And he's printing out a bunch of bumper stickers to give to his friends, so he wants to know what would we like if, if rather than make a donation to the podcast, he wants to give us 50 bumper stickers. His idea was uh, they want it all, which <laughs> is a good bumper sticker. But I want the bumper sticker to say, Austerity for Millionaires First. Mm-hmm. And... You notice that at the GOP debates, nobody wants to cut defense at all. Zero. Not even investigate waste in the Pentagon. That's not mentioned. We're not even going to talk about that. We're not even going to talk about that because that's our defense, you know. You know and, it, and, and it's uh, not our defense. It's their portfolios. Mm-hmm. It's their war stocks. And what do they want? And to quote Scarface, the world, Chico. Yeah, the world. They, the world and everything mm-hmm, in it. That's what mm-hmm. they want. And they're not going to stop until they get it all. Yeah. And that's why we—that's why we have to stop them. That's why beating on those bricks with our bare fists no when nobody how wants much to listen it hurts, to us. We've got to keep going. Yep. You know, we're all sort of deep in the war right now. We're all slogging through one island at a time, trying to take our country back. But my question is. What happens once we wipe the GOP out? Well, and and that's a great question. I also think we all have to ask ourselves, and and the David Frums and the Andrew Sullivans eventually are going to have to ask themselves, which side are you on, really? Yeah. And when they ask themselves that, uh, it's going to come down to the question that Frank wrote us and said. Uh, He was Mm -hmm. wishing me a happy anniversary and our, us a happy 100th birthday of our podcast, 100th episode. But he said in the end, you know, our president needs to threaten to call out the National Guard to protect Occupy Wall Street from the police. <laughs> That's a good And point. 
Yeah, that blew my mind. But it's going yeah. to come down to that because we're in the streets, people. And unless you want to end up with, at a minimum, your head shaved, wearing a T-shirt that said, I collaborated. Yeah, you have a choice between collaborating and yeah, between collaborating and, and being part of the suppression of this. Yeah. But you or being on the side. moral side, you're either with the future or against it. The future and, of this well, country or against it. That's why I hold out, actually, in, in the long run, I hold out a lot of hope. Because yeah. once you sort of take this energy-sucking parasite off of the American body politic, we are an amazingly vital, relatively young, prosperous, powerful, and optimistic nation. And it's only this – the lead weight of this inherited wealth in the hands of really bad people mm-hmm. who have been just slamming us with poison, slamming us with polluting us, destroying our ability to – destroying the American political immune system for 30 years. That's what's fucking us up. Yep. And I, I remember how, how long people thought it would take for Bill Clinton to – turn the record Bush-Reagan deficits into a surplus. And they thought it would take 20 years. It would take a long time, a very long time. It took him, what, eight years? Six years? Eight years? We can turn this around very quickly if we get rid of the people. I mean that electorally and culturally, of course. But we have to get rid of the people who are screwing us up. And to do that, we have to acknowledge who those people are. So when Rachel Maddow gets stands up in front of the camera and says, sweet Jesus, can't there finally be some fucking accountability in journalism? That's a first step. When a bunch of people go down to the heart of the beast on Wall Street and said, we're not leaving until we fix this shit because if we don't, we're all doomed. That's a step. And so my question is, what happens after the fever breaks? And my answer is, we can clean this country up and get us get ourselves back to a relatively healthy country, I think within 10 or 15 years. I don't think it's going to take a generation. No. And I think we can get started very quickly. But we have to get the, the, the junk out of the system. And to do that, we got to keep doing this. Yeah. And, and part of what's going to make it easier and easier is our opponents are shooting themselves in the foot on a daily basis. We didn't even talk oh. about Herman Cain tonight. We didn't talk no. about Rick Perry and now uh, Newsweek just released. Rick, I just got an email. Rick who? Yeah. Herman who? By the time this goes up, it's going to be Newt Gingrich. <laughs> Newt Gingrich, number one. People who think that this is this is going to be so awful and we're never going to make any progress need to look at the Tea Party poll numbers mm-hmm. between two years ago and now. The Tea Party is less popular than dental work at this point mm-hmm. because yeah. they've shown themselves so. to be the nihilists that they are. And that's the well, other thing that gives me hope, Drift Glass. Is that uh-huh. I don't think America is as full of nihilists as I did a hundred episodes ago. No. We have a website. It's professionalleft.blogspot.com where you can listen to our podcast for free with no download and no registration. We're on iTunes and we're also on Sketcher Radio, which is another place that you can listen to us on your portable devices. A special shout-out to our Crooks and Liars listeners and our Netroots radio listeners. We're on Crooks and Liars at Open Thread on Saturday nights and Netroots Radio on Sunday nights. We have an email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to write us. Be aware that if you write us at that address, 
We reserve the right to read your email on the air unless you say otherwise. At our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, there is an opportunity for you to drop five bucks in the hat to help us celebrate our 100th episode, to support our podcast work, and to keep this podcast going. You mean a lot to us. We hope we mean a lot to you and that you will consider giving us five bucks to support our work here. Thank you so much. So, Drift Class, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, the Internet Kitties say it's 700 episodes in kitty podcasting. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2011, Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. All right. We're recording this on Friday afternoon, so I have to do this perfectly in one take. Let's sing the fucking music at the very beginning. I can't work without a script, Blue Gal. You know that. Go to your trailer. <laughs> I'm in my You're trailer. In trailer, I know. It smells funny, and I'm cold and alone. <laughs> I'll be back there in a minute. <laughs> okay. Bring me some cocoa. <laughs>